0: Okay, Hello, climate change. <laughs> um, I'm sitting here with Maureen Crowley. I am Amy Callisher, <laughs> And we are going to talk about whatever we talk about, because I mean, Maureen has made it very clear to me that she doesn't feel like she's the expert on climate change by any stretch. And I think that's great that you're so willing to talk to me um, anyway, because I think you have so much to say that's so valuable and has has impacted the way I think about not just climate change but a lot of things including climate change so so we'll get into that but first why don't I let you talk about who you are a little bit
1: just so just people can get to know you just a bit who who I am who I am oh my gosh um well I would I would always describe myself as an educator okay even though um I find myself as an administrator and a grant, a program developer and designer for learning environments. I think of myself myself still primarily as the the educator, yeah. um, and in addition to that, as you know, because we've worked on a lot of community projects together, I'm involved with with um, Third City Development, which is a nonprofit small group of individuals. Looking to create, revitalize and have great things happening in downtown Willimantic, which, as you know, is a really impoverished community, financially impoverished, not impoverished in other ways.
0: I just want to fill in that um, Willimantic, we're talking about Willimantic, Connecticut. In the United States, because there's people listening to this all over, so even scarier. Uh oh, no, 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 no. This is, I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast uh, kind of probably has an idea of what it is, and it's just a conversation, it's not, you know. So, I am trying to put your mind at ease, but just think of it as you're having a conversation with me with a weird apparatus in front of you. (laughs) (laughs) So, anyway, going on, so you've been so so you you 've really been, and that 's a lot of uh, when we first were getting to know each other, we talked a lot about willimantic and i 've always felt like that town has so much potential there 's so much creative energy there mm-hmm. there 's a really thriving um, food co op um, mm-hmm. so for those of you who are not really familiar with what that means um, it 's owned by its members it 's a food it 's mm-hmm. a grocery store that 's owned by its members, and therefore rather than when you go grocery shopping um, your the profits are going back into the town that you, the the community where you right. live, um, and so rather than it being skimmed off the top and going to shop, stop and shop headquarters or whatever the name of the grocery store is near you, um, the all that going into corporate pockets far far away, um, instead that money goes right back into the community, and it they they give grants they even give they've gone done that a little bit of that they even give. Tr- um, try to support um, other organizations in the community so yeah. I, I think it's a great that town has so much potential and has so much going on there's also a credit union which is a similar model a, a cooperative mm-hmm. kind of bank kind of system so there's a lot of good things happening there but yeah. there's also it's, an, it's a depressed mill town um, it has um, a lot of social service kind of things happening yeah. there so yeah. there's like houses where people are recovering from addictions or coming out from halfway house kind of situation where they're coming out of jail and finding their way back into community life. And there's, we were talking earlier, there's several like special school kind of situations right in downtown. So anyway, what you, what, was there something you were about to say? I wanted to give a little context,
1: which is really great and helpful. And and I think that um, it's, it's, some things are always striking to me that are obvious, but they're still interesting to me, is that um, Willamantic, as, as small an urban peripheral community as it is mm-hmm. described in the educational literature as urban peripheral, mm-hmm. um, it's it's... Of 169 towns in Connecticut, Willimantic is is the third, second to poorest community in the state. Which is, is, Wait, is what does um, that mean?
0: Third, second.
1: It's it's like it's almost at the very bottom. Hartford and and I think Waterbury or Bridgeport are below it. But but oh. Willimantic is one of the very poorest communities in the state when you compare it with oh. with everyone. And when it's compared, when it's compared with. Towns of similar size, um, it, it 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 it's been evaluated the weakest in all of those. So mm-hmm. it always comes up as the weakest in education, the weakest in job opportunities, the weakest in quality of life indicators. It's really um, it's mm-hmm. a really ravaged community e- economically, not in other ways. Again, as I say, and. Um, It was interesting, and I never remember the data exactly. There was a study done a few years back. um, And as you know, Connecticut has the biggest achievement gap in the country. No, I didn't know that. It it is. It has the largest achievement gap between affluent and not affluent um, uh, students. And um, you can see that in other ways. When a, a study was done several years back, that said instead of looking at the annual per capita of families um in Connecticut we should actually take a look at their personal wealth and they did an adjusted personal wealth figure to say, you know, let's consider not only your income but your um uh your investments, your boat, your car, the summer house that you own. Let's mm. put together all of what it is that you own and come up with an understanding of how much cash you actually have in your pocket after all of your expenses and things have been accounted for. And the difference was staggering. The difference was was and again I, I don't remember the exact data, but it was something like, you know, Greenwich and Darien. The average per capita was over 400,000 per personal wealth was over $400,000 per person on average. And in Willimantic, it was just about above $4,000. So you could see this enormous economic gap, which then said mirrors the achievement gap. So, you know, mm. it's, it's correlations, not necessarily right. cause and effect, but was really sort of stunning figures um, for Willamantic and how much people dedicate and commit to trying to bring that community back around mm. economically. And so um, even of the things that you were talking about, I think besides the co-op, which is fabulous in the the um, uh, the Credit union. They also are trying to do what they do in the Berkshires, where they have the Berkshire notion, where you don't exchange cash, but we can exchange services. So, are you talking about the hours exchange? Exactly, exactly. So that's
0: uh, there's the Access Agency, which is a social service community service access program. Right. They they've um, they they started this program, and there there are. Programs like this in other other parts of the country um and other parts of the world, in fact, but um the idea being that you you do some service for somebody who's part of the exchange and um and then you've got hours owed to you in a sense, and that <laughs> anybody can fill them. And then, you know, it's sort of like a an alternative currency, so right, to speak. Right. Um which is but, an interesting and creative and not unusual. Yeah. Well there's a Thank lot you. of people who say like to, to for us to like change the the course of our society, which is very exploitative of the earth's resources and also devalues community. So for instance, um Oh gosh, I'm trying to remember. I was thinking about something that Charles Eisenstein was saying who who is um a thinker and writer um on a number of subjects, but he was talking about the economics of the gift and um how <laughs> how we're we've been commodifying so many things like entertainment. It used to be that people sat around the fire and somebody picked up an instrument and someone told a story and and uh you know, somebody provided some tea or whatever and and it was just the all of this thing that we now go out and pay for right. um and have professionalized and um and earlier before we started recording you were talking about like a similar mentality that happens in education where you may be learning and learning on the job or learning in the course of getting your education. And the only things that are noticed or or counted are the things that can be really, really commodify, really. I mean, things that you can put some kind of uh, measurement system on and then make it have a financial value. And so we've kind of, I think in a way we've all been brainwashed to, to, only see value in things that you can put a dollar value on
1: and it's even, it 's even and to extend that is the notion of people say, "Well, you get what you pay for right. so the, so 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 even in commodifying <laughs> there's gradations yeah. in that and
0: then, and then yeah. and then when coming back to what you were saying about the um, wealth gap, basically the fourth person who's worth $4,000. I mean, that's a terrible way of putting it, but that's kind of the way the prejudice sits that this person is less important. And we see it in the way people are treated, um, by institutions, by, uh, police, by, um, uh, by, by neighbors, you know, um, and it's, it's so, so ingrained in the system. It's like, I don't, I really don't see a disconnect between talking about these kind of issues and talking about, um, the bigger, the bigger picture of the, like, so we all live in the same house in a sense, this earth, right? <laughs> that's right. our house and right. we have to take care of it. And that means you, you, each of the people there matter and they the resources that are devoted to people matter equally. So so yeah well, it was it was yeah.
1: funny because when when you when I knew I was going to be coming over and we were going to be talking a little bit about this, I actually off and on during the the, the, the past few days was thinking about my own thinking or connection to the notion of environmental change and mm-hmm. certainly things that are happening in a in such a big way um, but you said something earlier before we started recording, and I want to go back to that and. In my weird way, okay. it connects, but I'm not not it. not sure that you would understand this. But um, a few years back, um, maybe three three mm-hmm. four years back, Jack and I uh, decided to do. Um, first night in Boston, which we hadn't done in a in a long time, and so we so just for I've, people who are not from around here. The First night is a, is is um, it's like a New Year's Eve right. in Boston, and they do all kinds of great community things. They have mm-hmm. a parade, they have fireworks, they have okay. art thi- displays going mm-hmm. on, and it really brings the whole and, yeah. community right. out. It's wonderful. Um, and it's always very cold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, but we hadn't done that in a long mm-hmm. time. And so we thought it would be really good to go in that break between just mm-hmm. after Christmas and New Year's Eve and, and and spend it in Boston. And so it turned out that year that it was a spitty, sleety, really nasty, New England, great, hearty New England weather um, which was two days after Christmas, and so there was no one in the city. you know the holiday is over, and the 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 day after shopping was done um and it was really quiet. There was, like, very quiet in Boston. There's not much traffic. The weather was mm-hmm. not nice. We were staying at a hotel, and so we went over to Cambridge, which is, you know, you have to go to Harvard Square when you haven't been in in a while. It was a very, very cold, and with that sleet, it made it bone-chilling, mm-hmm. literally bone-chilling. And there was no one around. There was no traffic, and I had never seen Harvard Square look so deserted. And this is the thing that struck me. They weren't shoppers. They weren't workers. Instead, they were homeless people. Mm. I'm in and out of Boston frequently. And you know homeless people are there, but you you really don't notice them because they get lost in the crowd. Mm. And with no crowd, you saw really how serious and profound the problem was right. and there were there were um it, it, as you know in some of the old buildings in boston they have those deep entrance ways you know mm-hmm. where they have the glass windows in front but deep inside and, and people had set up cardboard buildings inside the entrance ways to stores mm-hmm. and um i went up into the 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 Harvard Coop in their bookstore on the second floor, and they have a coffee shop in there, and you can pick up books and sit there. It was full of homeless people drinking water from the water cooler, which was free. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I remember being struck and 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 really what what was most startling about the experience was that it was in your face. You could not ignore this. Right. And and it was happening in Harvard Square with Harvard, um, Leslie University. I, I could name 50 colleges that are within a very short radius of Harvard Square. Boston College, BU, Simmons. You, you, could, you, you and I know how many colleges there are. And I thought... <laughs> Why aren't the colleges? It's the medium is the message, and you had said this earlier. That you, when we were talking earlier, you had made this connection for me: is the medium is the message. If if the colleges are teaching people all courses and curricula around social services, environmental um, structures that improve the quality of life for people, if they're really studying all kinds of different things, why wouldn't they? tackle this problem in their own neighborhood that's on their property, people sleeping in the Harvard Mm -hmm. University grounds where they could find places that were safe. Why aren't we doing things and teaching students how to deal with this problem? And so, but the bigger point for me because um, I think that, that that's a, there's a, a fracture there you mm-hmm. know you pay a lot of money to go to a, a an environment to learn a lot about mm-hmm. a particular thing and the problem that you may be ultimately looking to solve is right there mm-hmm. and no one's doing anything to solve it that you can see or or understand I'm not a member of the Boston yeah. community so there could be an awful lot that's right. going on and mm-hmm. I'm just outside of that So, but the image was not that anything was happening. I right. know they have limited resources yeah. for homeless shelters. But the point to me was more that when there's a lot of the noise of life going on, you don't see that problem as in your face mm-hmm. as it is. Mm-hmm. And the same thing, I think, with, with climate change. It's one of these things that there's so many things going on and the problem is sort of down the road, not yeah. in your face, yeah. that it's easy mm-hmm. to not connect yeah as immediately to it as as you might and so it, it it was interesting that in sunday's new york times it was the in their um magazine section they talked about um, the future, and one of the things, was cli- of, of course, was climate change, and they talked about Antarctica and Greenland and other areas and looking at the ice, icebergs and the ice shelves and other things and, and measuring how quickly they are changing and what mm. that means ultimately for shorelines and the rise in mm. the oceans. And, and, and when I was reading it, it seemed so much bigger, like, it seemed like such a big problem, but it was way down the road hmm. and not something yeah. that I probably would have to really deal with in my lifetime. But that was a big part of the of the article, is this, that, that talked to research scientists that said, you know, we never thought in our lifetime or my children's lifetime that this would be an issue right. that had the profound outcome and... And results that it now looks like it obviously can have on people, yeah. and so they are now trying to figure out how close to is is the real pro- exactly. results of the problem. And I thought that was really you know kind of the interesting thing when it's not in your face and not happening, yeah. and it's down the road, and someone else is is going to deal with it, mm-hmm. and you don't really have to deal with it. You can be responsible. I mean, right. I, I think like you, I do a lot of things that I've been not only educated to do but know is the right thing to do but but simple like recycling. recycling and... Right and doing, you know, better eating and, mm-hmm. and making sure that you're less wasteful and, mm-hmm. and the same thing with utilities and we've gotten a you know, much better about that, but that seems like a small thing in terms of the yeah, how big right. the problem I mean, sounds like when you're reading it about yeah. ice shells and changing yeah. and with and, and how I'm doing the long-winded talking thing. But what that also reminds you of is how tightly connected things are that you don't necessarily realize when it's not in your face. I mean, it, the, you know, the notion that how those single things, the shelves, are changing and shifting and what that means for, for tides and what that means for cities. And they talked about how far the water could rise. And, you know, and again, they debate that. You know, and so someone's saying, "Well, not that much." You know, (laughs) New York doesn't have to worry yet. You know, (laughs) so it was. It, um, but I, but I liken that to to my experience in Harvard Square, where um, it's easy to be lost in the noise of the day and so much going on around you, Mm -hmm. that it's hard to to step back and really take a much more profound. Bigger look right. of of the impact of of things and, and yeah, there's. So I don't much think that's th- unusual. I mean, I think we're all we're all trivialized to death. <laughs>
0: <You know? laughs> well, you know what? There's like there's a lot
1: of things that you just said that
0: that I could riff on, and and what I would, I'll just pick out a couple and I'll and say a little bit about them. Um, one is, first of all, um, I like this image that you painted of this. Cityscape where you are used to seeing students and workers and shoppers and you know tourists and everything and 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 the the, the homeless people sort of melt out of your out of your mm-hmm. vision and frankly there we make a choice to not pay attention to them but there's lots of things that help aid us in in executing that choice right because right. there's lots of other distractions yeah. and I think you could apply that same thinking to the way we are around issues in our world, whether it's the environment, whether it's, whether it's war, whether it's, um, some other injustice, um, there's plenty to distract us. And, um, and there's more than ever to distract us. I mean, it used to be that there was like three channels on your television and if there was nothing you wanted to watch, you just go, ah, and you turn (laughs) it off and then you find something else to do. But, um, now there's like, you can endlessly entertain yourself. I mean, that's just, uh, uh, we're in a new place. And so part of the work of actually addressing this is addressing our choices we make around where we put our attention. And so that's one thing that that came from listening to you. Another thing is... Um, the the thing that you were talking about in the in the why is you know the school could take these things on like that that that's i think a, a lot of those 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 it's almost like obvious ideas that that people can't see they glaze over because it looks so um overwhelming and you don't know where to begin and there's no systematic support for for taking this on for like no space to step back from what you're doing to reconfigure a new idea. So, and this is this is really where your expertise is around education and educating educators. And
1: so, I mean, what well, would you like the, to say? And that, uh, I w- struck too by um, what you're saying about the distractibility of what's going on, but there's also a desensitizing about mm-hmm. what goes on yeah. and no sense of urgency. And so... Um, I think that we, 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 seeing how profound yeah. poverty was when you're living on the street mm-hmm. and it's freezing, and you have a cardboard shelter, right. um, it's unconscionable yeah. with our wealth right. that that happens yes. and that we don't we don't come together. But now i'm going to tell you a funny story um, m- more years ago than that so i would say to you maybe 8 or 9 years ago mm-hmm. um i have friends in the that um, worked in the the Massachusetts State Legislature, and at the time, I really wanted to present this idea about an education program, and so I was encouraged to go in and see a legislature who was keen mm-hmm. on um, this kind of educational program that we were looking to develop, and so I got there to the State House in in, in Massachusetts in Boston early. I got there early. And um, and I was windblown. It was like a crazy day, and and I and so I wanted to go into the ladies' room and I wanted to brush my hair mm-hmm. and make you know look good, um, look like I was not a wild, crazy person. And so, <laughs> I, the 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 restrooms in the state house in Boston were all locked. Mm-hmm. And I thought, you know, oh, well, it's in good a, the
0: homeless people, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. they didn't. So so when I went in and I asked for a key, and I thought, but this is the people's house, you know, this is like right. our office building. This is our state house. And, and in a very simplistic, naive way. And so I didn't think the restroom should be locked. And I was surprised because I don't remember that from an earlier period. Mm -hmm. I don't remember Mm -hmm. them being locked. So um, I went into the office and I said, you know, is there a key? And she said, yes. And I said, by the way, why are you locking these public restroom in, in our state house building, our Capitol work building, and she said, oh, because we don't want homeless people to to take up space in our building. And I thought to myself as I walked mm-hmm. out, well, I understand that, mm-hmm. but isn't that a reason to sort of figure out how to take care of a problem instead of the resolution as, well, we'll just lock doors right. and make it more difficult for them to be warm when it's really right. freezing. And right. so... I, I, um, it's certainly not a worker's job in the Mm. state house to figure this out. But I think it's easy to become desensitized to it for it to feel exactly as you say, Mm. that so many things seem beyond our control, Mm. beyond one person's ability Mm. to make a change, which Mm. is really not the Mm -hmm. perspective that we want. And certainly not that we want to encourage students when they're Paying an awful lot of money for yeah. for an education to say, well, there are just some things that are too difficult to do, right? And 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 to and to ignore them because of their difficulty means that again, they're beyond people's control mm-hmm. or their ability to come together to solve problems. So, again, when we are distracted by so many things that desensitize us to the immediacy of issues, it's easy to put it off and let the next generation or the next group of people or the next dedicated person take on the challenge for us. I think you see that, and I know this is wrong because this is just a gut feeling, but I think you see that particularly around the environment because it seems like so much bigger. Than 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 a lot of other things. It, I don't it, think you're wrong. <laughs> I think, and so and so, I think that that a, a, a generations of us have probably oh, yeah. said. And the other thing I think we say, I said, is technology is going to come along fast enough yes. to resolve the problem, so I don't really have to worry too much about it because right. by the time they realize how quickly the ice shelves are melting, there's going to be an answer yeah. to that. And it's beyond me. It's beyond something that I can do anything about and I'm just going to let the really smart people (laughs) who really know about that take care of that you're so right
0: and and actually I've heard some analysis about um, where Like basically denial about climate change, um, the different (laughs) tactics that it takes, and one of those one of those is that it's not happening. Obviously, we've heard a lot about that one, but another one is that there's going to be some swoop in technological solution. And actually, um, the thing that scared me into getting like putting my mind here was this idea that there one of the technological solutions that's being pushed is is basically blasting and I can't think of the chemical right now but they're blasting some kind of particles of some chemical into the atmosphere to artificially dim the sun. So in other words like uh. when we've had major volcano eruptions the the it has depressed the temperature of, of the of the earth for 10 years at a time or something. Um but so the, what they're talking about doing is artificially I mean, there's really the technology doesn't exist right now to do this. But there's um, a lot of people with huge amounts of money are pouring a lot of money into it because it's it's like (laughs) and it's it's. It's like an arrogant, no offense to, I know a lot of lovely white males, but I want to say it's an arrogant male dominating, like white male, like scientist sort of mindset, which has a lot of deep knowledge in one area, but a lot of naivete on another front. And like, I just think of Reagan and his, um, Star Wars thing where he was going to put a shield up in space to, to like catch the nuclear bombs that other countries, launched at us and that was going to be what we did to, to, to protect ourselves. And just, it seemed ludicrous. Um, and, and actually, um, the kind of common sense knowledge that we have about relationships is, is the knowledge that needs to be, brought to the front in terms of working out issues with war <laughs> and, well, and yes. et cetera. So we won't go into war, but I want to, but I, but this actually is a good segue for me anyway, and just something that you and I talked about months ago that sort of blew my mind. And it, you were telling me about Carol Gilligan and the research she had done. And, um, and it seems like it doesn't relate at all, but to me it does. Mm-hmm. Um, So, I was hoping that you would talk a little bit about (laughs) this for other people to hear because I really loved hearing about it. And it was
1: so profound when, um, and, and, for people who don't know, yeah. m- I, it's hard to imagine people don't know much about Carol Gilligan's research. A lot research of us cause, don't. Because yeah. it was so groundbreaking when it, when, it was, when it happened. And Carol Gilligan's research grew out of work that she had been doing with Larry Kohlberg. And Kohlberg um, was at Harvard at the, and, and Carol too. And I think Carol was even his, one of his graduate students and this assistant. Was
0: in, when was this around This was probably
1: the, the um, certainly the 70s and okay. 80s. Yeah. Um, and Larry, along with several others, were looking at moral development and they were looking at it in the culture in a different way and looking at um, from children up and, and and assessing where they were in terms of the, the developmental stage with the notion that, when, we'll, when we know where people are in a stage, much like learning, we can we can create learning mm-hmm. activities for them that will will help them move Develop beyond. More, and yeah. so he he actually, if I remember this correctly, a long while, um, his work mirrored Piaget, who said. Using the notion of stage development theory, so there are stages that everyone goes through, right. and you don't back a lot, You know, you don't fall right. backwards, and you can stay at one stage, but you don't skip a stage. So he 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 really ma- mirrored. Piaget's notion of stage thinking around moral development. And and it was very interesting because he would ask young children questions, famous questions that were called um, the Heinz Dilemma. It was Heinz Dilemma. Oh, yeah, I love the story. So he would ask children, young children, um, what Heinz was a fellow whose wife was dying of a really tragic disease, and there was a pharmacist pharmacist who um, had... Uh, developed a treatment for that, but was very expensive because he was the only one with the answer and the, this medication. And so sh- the dilemma was, should, H- should Hines steal this to save his wife? Right. And children would, male children tended to answer in particular ways. and But you could see them grow through their thinking by the kinds of questions and prompts that the interviewer would ask them. So they would start out by saying things like, um, if I remember some of the interview data, they would say things like, well, um, his wife shouldn't die because she might be a really good mother. And what would happen to those kids if their mother died? And so maybe Hines should steal... The, the medication for his wife because she had a particular value, right? And as they were prompted and thought through, they ultimately would come to the point that all life is worth saving, regardless of what mm-hmm. contribution they may have to you or to others. So they would say to him, "Well, what if she wasn't such a good mother, or, or mm-hmm. you know, like make it more difficult for them?" But but chil- children would move up through their thinking about. What do we, the the sanctity of human life is really ultimately what the dilemma was. When they would ask the same questions to girls, girls would typically have a problem in how they thought through that. So they're more apt to say, well, Heinz shouldn't steal the drug. That's a bad thing, but his wife shouldn't die. So they would, in their thinking, try to think through how to solve both problems. Mm -hmm. So it wasn't an either-or thought. It was how can you... Solve this problem without anyone being hurt through it was mm-hmm. very different from the way the boys would think through step by step in a yeah, more the principled stay, way. The
0: boys would stay within the framework of the question, should they should he steal or not? And they would come to a yes. Right. And then and they saw that as a moral Right, Uh, as as being more uh, the the first guy was more developed than the
1: girls. Well, in the end, they didn't include the uh, in in Kohlberg's research. The girls weren't included, and and there was a consensus, a sort of silent consensus, if you will, that girls just weren't really. As more, as morally they developed, yeah. they weren't. They weren't. You yeah. know, they they mm-hmm. weren't thinking about principles. And boys showed, as Piaget showed, boys will move to a point where they. It, his famous studies were around marbles, and so boys would all play marbles, and at at very young ages, they would play marbles and they really and if you came on the scene and said oh i would really like to play they would tell you what the rules were mm-hmm. even though they weren't using them they were too young and they weren't using the rules but they knew what the rules were and as they got better and better and more sophisticated and developed they would apply the rules rigorously right and then they would develop their own rules as they as they really you know, then they started to make the game more interesting for themselves by developing rules. So that notion that they were applying rules and principles looked like sound moral development. Right. Whereas the girls, on the other hand, when they would play, they would throw out a rule if the rule was going to cause someone to be unhappy or not be able right. to play. So... Um, in effect you can look at sports you know this was the difference in the the ethic of principle versus the ethic of care and that's what carol mm-hmm. uncovered cuz carol finally said wait a minute i think no yeah. one should speak well, for carol but herself but yeah. she sort of said wait a minute this isn't really you it's how we're listening Two people. Right. Well, that is can profi- I just
0: say that that a parallel I think you drew that was helpful to me when you told me about this the first time is because uh, I was aware of this that for a long time medical studies were all were all done on men and they excluded women and right. it wasn't something that anyone thought about they just used the <laughs> male was the default human right and it was right. also white male was the default human so right. they would say that. This is what happens when you have a heart attack, but it. W- but they didn't notice that when a woman has a heart attack, the symptoms are different. That's right, and that that even that women had heart attacks was like still something that people don't really get that women have this issue. So like this is like a, a parallel in a way that this kind of thinking was like, well, let's just look at the boys because we can study boys and that's what humans. We
1: can relate, and we see that we say that we see evidence of a of a prin uh, of a an ethic of principle everywhere so right. you know the simple one is and this was a, a, a sort of what what i think carol w- was able to see is is boys playing baseball, well, three strikes and you're out. You know, it's simple. If you mm-hmm. have the rules and you follow them, then we can stay engaged right. because you'll be unhappy that you struck out. But you And you can, I guess, get man in at the umpire, but you're out. You know, it's like right. we've all agreed that these are what the rules are. The girls would m- more want people to play and be happy mm-hmm. than they would want to apply the rule. If mm-hmm. the rule then means that people will leave and not
0: the boys and another way i've heard this said is like the boys were thinking more about what kept the game going than
1: what kept the people playing or that you need rules (laughs) and regulations to have people work together Mm -hmm. you can't trust them to work mm-hmm. together right. without rules, we would have chaos and anarchy right. and whatever else. I don't believe that, but it is mm-hmm. a different view yeah. of human nature. So let's go to. So what when Carol did the Heinz test with the girls and and, and, story, and Carol said what to, what was profound to her is is that notion that instead of disregarding them because they couldn't see the framework for rules yeah. girls were trying to solve all of the problems simultaneously right. who wants to be sacrificed right. and and if you care for people if there's an right. ethic of care right. then you make allowances well and then they that would that the say- regulation that some regu- so so how it worked in education and it struck me one time and i think this is what you might remember is that in, in a school district that I worked Wait, before in. Before
0: you get to that, I want to say a little bit more about the Carol Gilligan yep. and the Heinz example. Like, uh, so when they looked more closely at girls, they would see the girls thinking ahead of things like, well, what if um, Heinz steals the drug and then his <laughs> wife gets better, but then he goes to jail and then she gets sick again?
1: Right, oh, and then, like, or, or, or he he tries to steal it. He gets caught. He goes to jail. Right. Then she's sick. She's got kids at home, right. and and so, so
0: they're they're trying to think. Of, well, maybe he should
1: go talk to the pharmacist. That was exactly. And see. The I mean, thing. they they would actually <laughs> did come they go up Did with they find? Did did, did yeah. they try to find anybody who would help buy it for him? You know, right. they yeah. <laughs> they looked at these things mm-hmm. that, and and, um probably if you're thinking about principles, it's a little bit easier. you know yeah. it's like if the if the if the rules and things are spelled out for you and we just follow those, mm. those are much easier, and it's not as messy as trying to resolve it, so no one is going to be hurt but that's in the true
0: because because it looks like that it looks like that on the surface because the game keeps moving, but by the examples that the girls were coming up with, the steps that happen
1: after, right. you know. They would come. What was interesting is that ultimately, ultimately yeah. they come to the same point of this, of valuing life, the sanctity of life. Okay. They, re, they ultimately recognize that. Yeah. And, and Gilligan would certainly be, clear to say this wasn't about girls and boys right. this was about a difference in ethic and 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 many mm. men have have a principle by an ethic of care just as many women are bound by an ethic of principles but they are a different ethic and that's what she was saying but are they They can both be equally Mm -hmm. profound because as kids worked through the problems, the girls and the boys ended up coming to that same point that the wife doesn't, you you know, you need to save this woman's life and no money value can be equated to the value of saving someone. And that's ultimately, they all got to that. Mm -hmm. However, it was that they worked that out, but the way that I saw that playing out in a different way, because, again, it's like it's like the homeless shelter, you know, when it's not in your face and you don't see it, it it's just a lot of noise. So so when um, I was working for a school district that really wanted to, to turn itself around and become a peaceful environment, they wanted mm-hmm. the environment to be safer, much more accepting in a in a true depthful way. And so they brought in this consultant and a professional development trainer who had written several books on um, how to turn an environment into a really peaceful school. And, and, and his was the three strikes and you're out. And he basically yeah. said, um, you, 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 can't, you have to treat everyone absolutely equal and no exceptions. So if the rule is that school starts at 8 o'clock And you're late one day, that's one strike against you. And and regardless of what the issue is, Mm -hmm. if you're late two, three times, then we have a problem and we're going to have to address that. But you have to deal with everyone with the same punishment Mm -hmm. outlined. So we'll agree that this is what happens to you for one One um, infraction. Right. And here's what's going to happen after two. And after three, we're bringing your parents in, and you may be expelled from school for a period of time or whatever. So there are three strikes. Whatever it is, we're going to punish everybody in the same way. Or not punish, but we're treating everybody in the same way. Well, that works better for an ethic of principle than it does an ethic of care. Because then you come into the problem where a girl would say, But his grandmother died this morning. Right. And so he was really upset, and his parents kept him home for a while. Why should he be punished? Because he got here after 8 o'clock. And so... But the rule is, if you're not here at eight, and we agree that that's what the rule is, and the community has agreed that punishment will be this, we can't make any allowances for that. Because once you make allowances for that, you have chaos, you have lost control of the situation. So that notion that that is a different way of thinking how people... Man, it's like Lord of the Flies. You know, if mm-hmm. there's no if there's no rules and regulations, that we may well have anarchy. And people doing really awful things, mm-hmm. or you trust that people value one another, that they value different perspectives, and that they find ways to work together, whether there are the rules or not. There are always rules, whether they're expressed or not. That's the mm-hmm. interesting thing about a society. is so much that. That is unexpressed about uh the way we are in, in our community well then- like
0: when you, you when you said that the two ethics finally come to to the same conclusion, which is that no life should be traded for a financial right. Um, right. you know that, that, that and that's that hap- that's happening in our society all the time mm-hmm. and it's and this and with climate change i mean. It really is that's what's happening we're exploiting the resources at the at the at the um detriment to to people
1: who are in vulnerable places in the world you know but but also that may be that may be the perception that we are all morally evolved and mm. so so I think Kohlberg at one point um and I, if I remember this. They applied the his thinking in a broader way so that they were assessing where people were in their moral development on a political level. So they looked at political leaders and they sort of figured mm-hmm. out where they were. And again... You have to decide for yourself if you even believe that there's stages in moral development. Some would say mm-hmm, right. that's, that is exactly a, a particular mental model, yeah, n- not yeah. something that they believe in or not. Um, mm-hmm. But it, at the time, I think he had six stages, and then he reduced it, mm-hmm. I think, to five. But he put sort of like Abraham Lincoln, Jesus Christ, uh, uh, you know, at the top. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were at they were the top, and then... Um, I think the third level was sort of the the medium level, which was um, people do good things because they want the community to say good things about them. Mm-hmm. They haven't evolved that that doing. Um, this is like Maslow's. E- exactly that, that 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 notion that you that that you treat people. In in, um, exactly the way you would want to be treated yourself, it's kind of the golden rule of, you you know, and so... um, I should just say what I was talking about, Maslow's
0: hierarchy of needs or something like that. Exactly. It starts with like the basic survival stuff and then you you move into um, influence and...
1: I don't even remember exactly, remember but it? but but if you think about those the different stages, the same thing in moral development that at the at in the at at one point you at one point you you do good because if you don't you're going to be punished like right. phys, you know right. as a, as a child you you know have some deprivation done mm-hmm. to you or or in the old fashioned fifties and forties spanking, um, but the third level was that you. You were concerned about what your neighbors would say about you if you weren't a good person. So you did good not because doing good was in and of itself the right thing to do, but that you wanted people to feel good about you. So Mm -hmm. he found that more political people, and I I, want to think that it was, was it Nixon or who was, you know, he he was sort of saying, and and, um, I think, Linda Johnson moral development is is not so common <laughs> that more people were at if you really looked at where people were they were more stuck at the lower three level than that they were in a more profound thoughtful kind of way I don't again <laughs> I I kind of okay so here's here's where my mind goes
0: and you're not going to believe this but we're actually like a full episode's worth of talking already. So we're, I'm going to say this and we'll wrap it up. But if you right. want to, we could, we could record a, a, like a little bonus round or something. But, so, but uh, um, so what
1: was I going to say? Um, shoot. And when my... you hear, when you certainly, when you hear, you know, when, when I'm listening to the candidates running for presidential office, it's just appalling what you, what you, what you hear from them in terms of moral development in 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 a, in, a, in a developed you know i want to say well thought through whole holistic systemic kind of way about thinking about humanity and mm-hmm. our environment our poli- it's it's okay this is missing. what i was going to say
0: yeah i i i i like that you brought up that we have to decide for ourselves if we believe that there are stages of development here because right. as soon as you said that i realized yeah i don't think i do right i don't think i believe in that i feel like i can point to places where i learned that it's that things go better for me if i do things that lack integrity and that the integrity was something that i I, all right. Here's my little story, and then I'm gonna have to sign cut us off. Yep. So this won't get too long. <laughs> okay. This is like, I I so at moments like this, I I I have to just take a pause and just say, I really do think you have to just. I'm hoping that people trust me that there's a relationship here with the climate change discussion, but I think it there really is because we have to change a fundamental way that we. Relate to our world and to each other and and I don't think it's off the mark at all for us to be contemplating how we relate to each other right. as as i mean it, it may be that we're not talking about how we relate to each other around um carpooling or <laughs> or um um lobbying our congressmen, but we're talking about relationships in another level and it's still it's still important but anyway sidetrack um Oh, so my little story was, I have this memory from young childhood, maybe five, five years old, um, being left with a babysitter and I was supposed to take a bath and then go, you know, I was old enough to do it on my own. I don't know exactly how old I was. I take my bath, come downstairs and the babysitter says, did you use a washcloth? Because she had told me to. And I wasn't in the habit of using a washcloth. I just rubbed the bar of soap on myself. (laughs) And I said, no, I did. I I. I forgot. And she said, go get back in the bathtub and do it. basically do it over. Huh. So I went upstairs, a very angry and upset. I went upstairs into the bathroom. There's cold, scummy water. And I'm having to execute my own punishment for something that I didn't think was actually a crime. <laughs> <laughs> and it was really like, it really f- felt very hard, but I also knew that I was not going to be able to lie. And that was the choice was oh, that either I don't get back in the bath and when I come downstairs and she asks me, I say, yes, I did. Or I actually have to do this and still think of myself as a good and honest person. So, and I did do what I was told because I wasn't capable of lying then. But later on and later on, when other things came <laughs> up that matched in certain ways, matched the, the criteria of that particular dilemma, I made a different <laughs> choice. and And I... I can say that i many, many times I've made a different choice. And, um, and some of those times I'm still hard pressed to see it as a a problem. Um, but when I really think it through deeply, I think I'd like to be able to think like the girls that Carol Gilligan was talking to, to who are trying to figure out solutions where nobody is, nobody is a victim. Right. and and right. i think it's possible and, and i mean it couldn't it would be amazing if we could like I, I when i was in my 20s i had friends who um and i'm would steal and i think i've even talked about this on this podcast once they'd steal from grocery stores and stuff and i was not i was not innocent i would like i would say steal this for me or whatever but i was too shy to do it myself <laughs> but um or scared or whatever um and they justified it by well, you know it's it's we're being stolen from by these corporations anyway, and so I'm just taking a little bit back and and i I actually could see their rationale, but then, but what if we actually just started to change the system rather than then compromise our integrity and I think mm-hmm. that's where the same feelings come up that anybody like in one of those Boston colleges would feel about trying to take on. I mean, who knows what's actually happening there? There might be great things happening, but right, right. but but it's just that overwhelm and, and that feeling. And I think ultimately, it only can all these big things only happen when we
1: have a gang who are in it with us. Right, right. I, I and I and again, I think I think we're distracted to death. Yeah. You know, I I think that that's that's mm-hmm. the problem. And I also think it is. Um, it is, it is, it's daunting and it's not, I think, I think urgency is an important thing and it's a, it's mm. a hard thing to, to get a handle on. I, I have that sense about revitalization and Willamandic where we talked about that. It's like, do people feel an urgency to turn the, the mm-hmm. situation around? Did Did anybody feel an urgency in the Cambridge area to, to, to there were not many people out that night, like literally, this was a, like a, an event for me, you know, mm. that I was, I I, I couldn't not see. Yeah. Um, then if it's busy, you don't see that. They, a, a friend of mine. Wait, before we go into uh, another story. I'm going to end this podcast,
0: and then you can tell me the story, and it'll be a bonus round. It it will. Okay. So let me, before you talk, um, um, so if you want to learn more about any of the things we've been talking about, I'm going to make... a link to something about Carol Gilligan. There are YouTube videos where she's giving talks. Um, she's written some amazing, amazing books things. and her writing is really accessible. Um, so I highly recommend if the, if the stories we were telling about um, moral development and her research interest you, you will, you will really love. I mean, she also talks about, the
1: abortion the, studies and making choices how women right and were, sexism
0: in the in in Harvard and in her department and how things develop there. So she's awesome. Um, so thank you for listening. You can find the show notes at hellocc.info and thank you Maureen.
1: <laughs> it was so wonderful to have a chance just to talk to you anyway. <laughs> Whether we were recording this in our so it was great to see you. Yeah, you